0: Well, as we join together with our friends in the Community Life Center, let me once again invite everybody to uh, turn, if you will, in the New Testament to the Gospel of Luke. We continue our journey through Luke as he tells us the story of Jesus. We are using that to guide us between now and Easter, and we are gradually building towards that climactic moment. We've jumped ahead a little bit in the story. Back in Luke chapter 9, Jesus, we are told, set his face to go to Jerusalem. And that means that everything that we're going to be reading between now and the coming days of Easter is happening as Jesus and His disciples are making their way to the holy city for what will be that climactic moment. Jesus knows that. He's fully aware of what's coming. He's moving purposefully towards the call that God the Father has placed upon Him. So with that as the background, let me invite you to listen and join together as we read in Luke chapter 13. We'll be reading together verses 1 through 9. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. No. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told them this parable. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be unto God. Well, Tom's wife died before I had ever met him I never got the full story but I was told that it had been sudden and unexpected perhaps a heart condition or something but in time he met someone else at first it was a friendship but then often happens it became more than a friendship I remember one night at church through a toothy grin he told me that they were talking about the possibility of marriage From what we could all tell, they were good for each other. We were happy that he was finding companionship again. And then one afternoon, she went home and laid down for a nap. And she never woke up. We were never clear what happened, some obscure underlying medical condition. And she just slipped right out of this life, unaware and unexpected. I called him when I got the news, and... He asked me that question that we all ask. Why does this keep happening? He said his voice was a mix of anger and grief. And then he said do I have some sort of curse? Am I a pariah? Have I done something to bring this on me? That's the million dollar question isn't it? Why? Why do bad things happen? More particularly why do bad things happen to seemingly good people? One family loses six members in an Alabama tornado. A Texas woman dies because some idiot on a railroad overpass throws a rock through her windshield as her car passes underneath. Fifty people are gunned down in a mosque in New Zealand as they worship. Why do these kinds of things happen? Well, at first glance, it appears that we have a discussion about that subject when we get to Luke chapter 13. There's a crowd of people around Jesus, as is often the case, and they have apparently pressed him with a question. Now, that question has some background to it, so let's take a moment and kind of see where we are in the flow of the story that Luke tells we back up one chapter to Luke chapter 12, we see that Jesus has been talking a lot about judgment, about God's judgment to be exact. At the beginning of Luke 12, Jesus first tells people not to fear Satan, but rather to fear the one who has the authority to throw them into hell, namely God. That's a stark image. Then he follows that with a parable about the so-called rich fool a man who has amassed great wealth but who has ignored the needs of his soul and who was now about to go into eternity empty-handed shortly after that he tells another parable about a master who comes home from a journey to find that the chief servant whom he's placed in charge of the estate while he has gone has been neglecting his duties and so now we're told in the parable that the chief servant is going to be cut up into pieces and cast out where the unbelievers are. And then he concludes chapter 12 with a bizarre story about someone who is thrown into prison for a debt, saying that they will not be released until they've paid every penny that they owe. Now, take all of that together, we've got an unmistakable common theme. It's the theme of judgment. God will execute judgment, we are told. We can't say for sure when it will happen, but that it will happen is sure. And when it does, there will be an accounting of life. and Those who come up short will find that there is hell to pay, literally. Well, that's the background of today's reading. That's what's been going on just prior to this episode when we get to the beginning of Luke chapter 13. And with all the sounds of those judgmental stories ringing in their ears, the people have apparently asked Jesus if God's judgment could possibly be an explanation for a recent tragedy that has occurred. They speak about an incident in which a group of Worshippers in the temple in Jerusalem are cut down by the troops of Pontius Pilate while they made their sacrifices. Now we don't know anything else about this incident other than what we're told here in these verses. There's no historical record of this outside scripture but we do know that based on what we read in historical references that this is very consistent with the kinds of things Pontius Pilate did. Pilate was of course the Roman governor who had been appointed by the Roman emperor to have oversight of this area that the Romans called Palestina. His job was to assert Rome's control, and Pontius Pilate didn't think twice about shedding a little blood if it was necessary to assert power. So while we can't say for sure the details about this, we know that this was consistent with what would have happened in that day and time. Well, that story of, of Seemingly innocent worshipers being hacked to death while they are making their sacrifices. That's the kind of horror that naturally leaves people looking for answers. Why would something like that happen? Well, the people with Jesus that day had apparently wondered if they might have possibly found an explanation for it all. Given what Jesus has been saying, they wondered if the deaths of those people was somehow a sign of God's judgment. Had God punished those Jewish worshipers for some kind of evil by sending those Roman soldiers into the temple with swords drawn? Now understand, that wouldn't have been an uncommon way for people to think in that day. There was a popular school of thought which said simply evil brings suffering and good brings prosperity in other words if you do good God will bless you if you do bad God will punish you it's just that simple there are some biblical passages which if you take them out of context can lead to that conclusion Psalm 1, for example, says, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Whatever they do prospers, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now take that at face value. It appears as though you've got a nice, simple, tidy, well-locked-up moral formula by which you can explain the otherwise mysterious circumstances of life if, if bad things are happening to you, then it clearly means that there is some sin in your past and God is out to get you. Well, if that's the case, then, then maybe that explains this horror which took place in the Jerusalem temple. Maybe, maybe God was punishing those worshipers because they had done something to deserve it. That's what the people with Jesus that day were apparently Wondering, and and they looked to Jesus, who had by this point demonstrated some level of authority and insight and, and knowledge, and they wondered would Jesus agree? Would Jesus affirm that? But Jesus won't give them the simple answer that they're looking for. Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? He asked. And then, as if to heighten the moment, he follows that up with another question, referring to another tragic event about which we have no other historical information. He asks them, or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? And then Jesus answers both of those questions with an emphatic, no, no. That's not the answer you're looking for. Jesus will not uphold the overly simplistic idea that, that sorrow and tragedy is always the direct and deserved outcome of individual sin. He shoots down the idea that, that God roams around the heavens looking for someone who's messing up so he can zap them with tragedy or, or strike them with sorrow. Keep in mind, this is the same Jesus who in a couple of chapters will tell us the story of the prodigal son. A story which paints a very different picture of God. A God who is eminently patient. A God who waits and longs and mourns for the day when those who have wandered away will come home and who celebrates at the first moment that they do. That's the kind of God Jesus reveals to us. Not a God who roams around waiting for somebody to slip up so we can nail them. That doesn't mean that sin and judgment have nothing to do with the question at hand. If the ancient world held to the idea that God punishes individual sin, the modern world seems to hold to the idea that God is just so polite and nice that he would never judge anybody for anything. And Jesus won't let that idea stand either. There is sin in the world. And broadly speaking, that sin is why sorrow and tragedy happens our sin and our rebellion has introduced corruption into the world what God intended to be right and good and perfect we took it and we twisted it and we corrupted it and turned it into something else that's why for me I probably have said this more times than I can remember one of the most poignant images in all of the Bible comes in Genesis chapter 3 think of it with me for a moment at the beginning of Genesis 3 We've come through Genesis 1 and 2, appropriately enough, where we have a picture of paradise. God's perfect garden has been created where everything is in perfect harmony and balance and everything is exactly as it is supposed to be. And then in Genesis 3, you know the well-told story. Adam and Eve disobey God. They sin and do the thing they weren't supposed to do. And when they do, they introduce evil into the world. And once evil gets a foothold, everything suffers. And so by the time we get to the end of Genesis 3, we read that there are now weeds growing in the garden. Because the corruption that Adam and Eve introduced affected more than just them, it affected the entire created order. And that picture paints a poignant image for us of why there is sorrow and tragedy in the world. Broadly speaking, we suffer because we have given evil a foothold in life. The world has been corrupted and we all now pay the consequences for that corruption. Now that doesn't mean there is a simple one-to-one relationship between sin and tragedy. In other words, just because you are going through something difficult does not necessarily mean that God is specifically punishing you as though you were somehow more deserving of punishment than anybody else. Because the Scriptures are clear, there's no more sin in you than there is in me or in anybody else around you. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 3, verse 23... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Those Galileans who suffered in the temple, they weren't any worse sinners than anybody else from Galilee. Those Jerusalemites who died when the tower fell upon them, they weren't any more evil than any of the other Jerusalemites that day. But broadly speaking, there is a connection between evil and suffering. That explains why Jesus takes the question that's been put to him and he turns it back around on the questioners to ask a different question of them. The people with him that day wanted to know why bad things happen. Jesus doesn't say it directly, but in effect he says, listen, bad things happen because we live in a world where bad things happen. I know that doesn't give us the explanation that we want, But sometimes we have to live with the fact that there aren't simple explanations. A life of faithfulness means accepting that sometimes there are mysteries that we cannot understand. So the real question then is not, can we explain why bad things happen? The real question is that given the fact that we live in a world where bad things happen, have we made our peace with God? Because you see, sooner or later, the frailty of our human condition is going to catch up with all of us. No amount of explaining or understanding is ever going to change our most basic problem. As somebody I know once put it, the problem we got here is that ain't none of us going to get out of this thing alive. That's our human condition And so the important thing is not can we come up with nice, simple explanations to give us answers to the questions. The question is, have we made peace with that? And Have we made peace with the God who was behind that? A few years ago, I was at a graveside funeral service when the lead pastor for the day read a portion of Psalm 103. Verses 14 through 16 reads, For God knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. Now, When he read those words, the first thought that came to my mind was how insensitive and uncaring it is to read those words. That's not the right pastoral word for this occasion. Here's this family grieving the death of a loved one. We're standing around an open hole in the ground where the body is about to be laid, and do we really have to go rubbing their noses one more time in all of this morbidity? But then it hit me, no, actually, that's exactly the word that needs to be spoken. That is exactly the kind of biblical honesty that this occasion calls for. We live in a culture that that wants us to ignore the reality of our human condition with distractions and, and all sorts of things to take our eye off of the truth about us. And in that world, the Bible unapologetically confronts us with the truth. The truth is, we are dust. And to one day, dust, we will return. Now, for some of us, that day will come sooner. For others of us, that day will come later. But for all of us, that day will come. So according to Jesus, the most important question is not, can you explain why bad things happen? The most important question is, have we come to terms with the very human reality of our very human lives? Are we prepared to deal with the fact that sooner or later the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of our lives will catch up with all of us? Have we made our peace with God? That's why Jesus takes in this moment what could have otherwise been a nice philosophical debate about suffering and he turns it into a call for repentance. Jesus rejects the idea that specific suffering happens because of specific sins. But nevertheless, in the same breath, he says, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Unless we repent, we're all facing the exact same outcome. What does that mean? Well, the word repent comes from a Greek word that when translated literally means to change your mind. We often think of repentance as being something steeped in remorse and guilt. And shame but that's primarily not its point there may be some remorse involved but but the real issue behind behind repentance is is not shame and guilt but it's it's perception to repent means to learn to look at the world differently it means to quit looking at life through the distorted lenses by which we see a false version of reality and instead begin to see life accurately To repent means to begin seeing life as it really is. And when you hear that in light of this passage and all that's going on here and all of the the issues that are swirling around, I think what it means is that in this case, repent means to quit assuming that that somehow we can secure our own lives through our own efforts apart from God. God. I think one of the reasons, I'm speculating a bit here, but but people are people in every age, and because people always do the same thing, I think we can safely say that that one of the reasons why the people with Jesus that day wanted to know why those folks were murdered in the temple was so they could figure out how they could avoid the same outcome. I mean, honestly, isn't that at least part of the reason why we ask the, the why question? When something bad happens, we want to know why. And in part, we want to know why so that we can come up with a nice, simple way of convincing ourselves that what happened to them could never happen to me. As long as we do that, we continue to build up a false sense of security. We continue to look at a distorted view of reality. That fact gets driven home by the parable of the fig tree. A man plants a fig tree and then gets frustrated that after three years it hasn't produced any figs. So his first instinct is to cut it down. Why should he allow it to continue soaking up all the soil? But the man who's been charged with the care of the vineyard, the the gardener, he, he pleads with the man who owns the place and says, i tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. Let's give it a little more time. Let's give it one more year. I'll spend that year fertilizing it, nurturing it, caring for it, seeing if I can coax it into producing some figs and if it does, great. If not, then a year from now then you can cut it down. Now, like a lot of parables this one carries multiple levels of meaning and and we could have a lot of fun pursuing lots of issues and gain lots of insight but but here is the one little detail we dare not overlook. While the fig tree was given more time, it was not given an eternity. It got one more year, that's it. One more year to get it right and then, then there would be a judgment to face. The lesson for us there is extremely uncomfortable but it's critically important to getting life right. Because in our natural state, we don't have an eternity to get things right. The fact that you are here listening to my voice this morning means that thus far, you have continued to be granted another day, and then another day, and then another day. That's a wonderful gift. The problem is that after that happens so many times, we start to assume that it will always be the case. Here's an analogy. Let's say that as you're leaving church today, you're distracted as you get in the car trying to get the kids in, figure out what you're going to do for lunch, whatever's going on in your head, and and you forget to buckle your seatbelt and you arrive at home and as you get out of the car you look down and realize you hadn't buckled your seatbelt but your thought was oh my gosh I need to do better next time but no big deal I made it home safe no problem then the next morning same kind of thing happens you're running late for work you're distracted you get in your car once again you forget to buckle your seatbelt and as you pull up at the office you look down and realize what you've done but once again no big deal made it safely to your destination this happens again and again and again and Little by little by little, you start to reinforce the idea that, you know what, I really don't need that seat belt after all. I mean, look at all the times I've gone without it, and there hadn't been a single problem. And then one day, you're barreling down the road at 65 miles an hour, and a deer darts out in front of you. And you slam on the brakes, and it's in that moment that you realize you've been living an illusion. You were fine until the moment came how it is with life. We always assume that because we've always gotten another day that we'll always get another day and then maybe another season and then maybe another year and then maybe another decade. And all along we're building up a false view of life. Sooner or later, this life will end. And when it does, we won't get a second chance to go around the block one more time and get it right the second time around. So Jesus is urging us not to put off till tomorrow what needs to be done to today. He's urging us to get our thinking straight. To, to repent of all those false notions and all those false illusions by which we have built up false security. Calling us to confront the fact that, that in the end we are mortal creatures whose lives are in the hand of God. Now that doesn't mean that God is calling us here to live in fear and anxiety. Far from it. Exactly the opposite is true. Jesus says, I came that you might have joy. Your joy might be complete. I came that you might have life. I came that you might have abundance. I came to set you free from all of the needless anxieties that this world wants to heap upon your shoulders. Jesus came to set us free from that. But that can't happen as long as we're living with an illusion. So What he wants us to know is that now now is the time to make peace with God and with the life that God is calling us to live because sooner or later the moment will come it probably won't happen today and there's an above average chance that it won't happen tomorrow but it will happen So Jesus is calling us to repent of all of the foolish distractions and all of the false notions and to get busy doing what needs to be done and to do it now. If there is a relationship that needs to be restored, now is the time to restore it. If there is a word of forgiveness that needs to be spoken, now is the time to speak it. If there is a note. That needs to be sent or a call that needs to be made now is the time to do it if there is a sin that needs to be confessed now is the time to confess it most of all now now is the time to make our peace with God how does that happen very simply by acknowledging that we are sinners. By believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who made the perfect sacrifice for that sin. And by receiving Him as the risen and eternal Lord. Once that's taken care of, then we can begin to look at life as it truly is. There are always going to be reasons to ask the why question. Bad things are going to happen and it's only natural that we seek explanations when they do. Understand this. Even if you could come up with an answer to the why question, it wouldn't necessarily take away the pain. When you lose a loved one, what you really want is not an explanation. What you want is your loved one back. And so answering the why question doesn't really get to the heart of what our deepest needs are. The truth be told, in the end, we're unlikely to come up with a completely satisfactory answer to that question anyway. And while it's perfectly fine to ask it, Jesus wants us to understand that there is a much, much more important question that we need to be asking. Have we made our peace with God? Because unless we repent, we too will all perish. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for loving us enough to tell us the truth. And give us the ears to hear it and the will to follow it. Call us out of our sluggishness. Call us out of our apathy. Call us out of a, the distractions and the illusions that we've built up around us. Enable us instead to see you and your call and your offer of grace and mercy. Call us back to you, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. The call is to all of us and yet the call is individual. God is speaking to each of us in the individual circumstances of our lives. Wherever we are, wherever place we may be on our journey, he's speaking to us to repent, that is to turn back towards him. If you've never confessed faith in Jesus Christ, then that's the first step. Let me ask you to come forward as as we sing. If you've never entered into fellowship with the church, we'd love to offer that to you in these moments. You're welcome to come forward. If there's anything else you need to share publicly, I'll be here. But all of us have some work we need to do to answer the call of Jesus Christ. Are we prepared? Let's worship him together as we stand and sing.